Hi, I'm Mike Dilk and you're listening to the Relax Bank UK show. The show that explores all kinds of health topics relevant to you, your family and your friends. Each week I talk to expert guests from a range of backgrounds to inform and entertain you. So please do join the Relax Bank UK family and stay tuned. Hi, and thank you for joining me on the Relax Back UK show and being part of the 1.1 million strong family of monthly listeners to UK Health Radio. Now, for a while, I've been lucky enough to speak with cancer scientists from the City of London Centre, which brings together the Barts Cancer Centre, University College London, King's College London and the Francis Crick Institute and also cancer patient advocates. Uh, this week's show is another in this series. You should all know your skin. It's the largest organ in your body. You should always check for any changes throughout the year. And if there's anything that concerns anybody, um, no matter how large or small, take a photograph of it, monitor it over a couple of weeks, make sure that it hasn't changed during that time and reach out to your GP or to a dermatologist to get a second opinion and get somebody to look at it because time can make all of the difference. The topic is skin cancer and more specifically melanoma, which is an aggressive form of skin cancer. Please do stay tuned for the science and some very practical advice and help from the patient advocates. I started the discussion in a lazy kind of manner by getting all four guests to introduce themselves. I'm gonna start please uh, with Imogen. Imogen, can you just kind of say why you're here and what you get up to? Sure, thank you. Um, nice to meet you all. Um, I'm a patient advocate. I was diagnosed with melanoma back in June 2013. Um, and like a lot of patients, my sort of experience was um, relatively brutal and, and sort of quite a tough um, early start to being diagnosed. And I was very angry and frustrated with the experience that other patients had. So uh, over the course of time, I decided to arrange a national patient conference. So once a year, the Melanoma Patient Conference brings together around 250 patients, medical professionals, uh, researchers, and everybody involved in the field of melanoma to raise awareness and knowledge. Okay. Um, and good. I'm also a trustee for the charity Melanoma Focus as well. Right. Okay. So lots of interesting questions for you later on. Thank you. Let's keep going clockwise. And uh, Victoria. Hi, I am Victoria Sanz-Moreno. I'm a professor of cancer cell biology at Barts Cancer Institute in, in London, in Queen Mary. And uh, the focus of our research in the lab is really to understand what makes a, a, a cancer cell metastatic or able to disseminate around the body. And we work a lot with melanoma because it is highly metastatic. So we, we've been for many years working on, on understanding what makes them so dangerous, um, melanoma cells. Very good, thank you. All right, moving on quickly, uh, Peter Phillips. Hi, I am, like Imogen, a patient with melanoma. I was diagnosed a couple of years ago, um, uh, though I think my, my experience has been a much better one than the one Imogen was describing. You know, I was, uh, I uh, both through my GP and then with the, with the doctors at UCLH, which is where I've been being treated, you know, I've had a, actually a fantastic experience. I was, I started, I initially had surgery to, to, to deal with it um, before it was recognised that actually it had already spread. And then once that was uh, that was spotted, I've been on uh, immunotherapy, one of the uh, immunotherapy drugs uh, called pembrolizumab for the last uh, the last year year or so. Uh, and um, 
the treatment has been uh, seems to have been effective so far. The tumors have been responding well. So, yeah, uh, but um, I still have a way to go. I've got a year and a half, uh, or a, a, just over a year of the treatment left uh, on this drug, and um, uh, obviously it's continuing. But I, I'm I'm feeling well looked after, uh, and uh, and extremely well supported by by the doctors who are dealing with it. Good. All right. That, that's very good to hear. Thanks, Peter. All right. And uh, lastly, we have uh, Amaya. Hi. Um, thank you for uh, inviting me to be here today. Um, I'm Amaya Viros, and I'm a clinician scientist working in melanoma. So 20% of my job is being a dermatologist. So I do a lot of primary skin cancer diagnosis. And 80% um, of my job is doing research with CRUK and Welcome to understand um, what drives melanoma forward, not just metastasis, but also the early stages. Um, and I'm particularly interested in the reasons why it has a different um, course or pattern of spread in age patients versus young patients. So that's me. Very good. All right. Well, look, thank you very much, all of you, for uh, sparing a few minutes uh, for this chat. And I'd like to start off, um, well, for actually, first of all, letting you know I am not a medical person at all, which in some ways uh, allows me to ask uh, the, the stupid question, potentially. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll start off with one of those, something that I've, I've never really uh, fully understood. And this is probably a, a question uh, for the scientists, but anyone can pitch in. And it's a basic one. Is, is there a difference between melanoma and skin cancer? Are they the same thing or because people seem to use the phrases interchangeably. So in, enlighten me. What, uh, please tell me, one, one of the scientists. I'm happy to take that question as a clinician. Um, skin cancer encompasses many different tumor types. Um, the skin is full of different tumor cells, different normal cells, and all of these can give rise to different tumor types. So, you know, we have more than 500 primary tumors to the skin. Melanoma is just one of them, but it happens to be one of the deadliest together with Merkel cell carcinoma. So, okay. and because it has such a high incidence and leads to so many deaths, um, many times we think of skin cancer as only that, but actually um, we diagnose around 70,000 squamous cell carcinomas per year in this country. So, you know, there are the other skin types that are far less deadly, but much more prevalent. So, yeah, right. important to distinguish. Okay, so um, so melanoma is, is, is the most deadly, but not actually the most common. Not the most deadly, together with Merkel cell carcinoma, yes, right. but not the most common by far. Um, okay. Yeah. All right, I guess I guess that's good to know. So getting on, on to causes, um, in the media and on the news, we're always told to keep out of the sun. Um, is that the number one cause or that are there other things, you know, lurking around that can give lead lead on to skin cancer and melanoma? Um, so there is a very clear relationship between sun exposure, sun damage accumulation in your skin and skin cancer incidence, and I'm using skin cancer um, with reason. Uh, most skin cancers are related to sun exposure, but if we talk about melanoma, that correlation is not so linear. So we know okay. there are many other factors. So for example, we have melanomas arising at sun protected sites, and these affect all ethnicities equally, for example. So we know there's something other than just UV light. There's also a familial component, 
um, and we know that we carry higher risk if we have family members that carry melanoma. Okay. Um, so a very multifaceted relationship. Like that, right? It's a multifaceted relationship with UV light. So when you're young, um, you mostly have melanoma, what I call the British tourists, those people who just sun exposed once, burn in Mallorca and then come back. Yeah, um, why do we do that to ourselves? We're bonkers, aren't we? Not good for young people melanoma, whereas other older people have a history of chronic sun damage to skin, like a Greek farmer, I say. Okay, all right. So um, lots of different causes. Now, you, you touched on it when you were talking earlier. Now, everyone on this call is is white. Should people with dark skin be worried about uh, skin cancer? and um, melanoma yes indeed they should um it is a rare tumor type uh, for people who aren't white but they are certainly at risk of developing non-cutaneous melanoma and these are these arise in mucosa mucosa so just the oral um and also the mucosa of your bottom um you can also have uveal melanoma which affects all ethnicities um and also acral so for example famous people have died of it like bob marley um, they tend to appear in aged uh, individuals, but they do affect all ethnicities equally. Right. Okay. Bob Marley had uh, cancer on his toe, I think. Exactly. Is that right? It was an acrolintigenous melanoma that killed him, that went undiagnosed for a long time. Goodness. All right. Um, right. Let's let's throw it open a little bit. Maybe in, in, include the advocates here, because you, you know you've been through the process. How can it potentially show itself? Well, the, the common sort of way that it shows itself that most people um, sort of think about it as, and associate it with is to do with moles. So if you think about looking at the moles and a changing mole, you think about A, B, C, D, E. So a symmetry, whether it's got a regular edge, the border, whether it's changed the color, whether it looks different colors. Although that being said, most people's melanomas, if we think about a mole, um, occur in an existing or either an existing mole that's changed dramatically over a short space of time or a new and often very dark mole that we perhaps overlook. So sometimes people might look at moles that are very large or very ugly and think that they're the ones that are the cause of the problem, um, but it's not always the case. Uh, the general rule of thumb is that if you have, you, you should all know your skin, it's the largest organ in your body. You should always check for any changes throughout the year. And if there's anything that concerns anybody, um, no matter how large or small, take a photograph of it, monitor it over a couple of weeks, make sure that it hasn't changed during that time, and reach out to your GP or to a dermatologist to get a second opinion and get somebody to look at it because time can make all of the difference. Right. <laughs> I, I like this idea of taking photos because it's easy for us to do now. Lots of people Absolutely. have got smartphones. Yeah, snap away. <laughs> yeah. And there's lots of apps available online as well that can be utilised, although I really don't think that, you know, the priority here is to make sure that if you are concerned in any way that it is seen physically by a dermatologist or a, a medical professional so that they can actually look at it under a, a different type of camera, which is called a dermatoscope, and actually look at the cells underneath the skin and make sure that they're behaving the way that they should or shouldn't be. OK, you, you mentioned apps. So what the, the, these are apps you can download and take a picture of your mole and it will give you a potential idea. Yeah, there, there are. There's lots of them out there. They're not necessarily going to diagnose it for you, but they might say this one's looking a little bit different over the course of time. You should probably look in and get it checked. 
They're quite helpful for people who are perhaps on their own or have multiple moles. I've got over 100 moles over my body. So for myself, it's useful to have, if you like, a second pair of eyes, because keeping track and remembering which ones yourself have changed is is often quite difficult. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Amaya, have you had patients that have used these apps and sort of come to you and it's been proved a useful thing? Yes, but and they're great. But the most valuable aspect of the app is exactly what Imogen was hinting at. It's the value of time. So if you have a suspicious lesion lesion on its own, sometimes um, the features of irregularity are too subtle. So you need that element of time, which allows you to assess whether there's any change. And apps can do that. But a simple photograph with your phone and a measuring tape underneath or a coin, if you don't have one, is worth more than anything at all. Just give it three months, no change, wait another three, and then you see. But uh, as Imogen has said, if there are any changes um, that are visually scary at the beginning, please don't wait and come immediately. You started this conversation saying, I'm going to ask the stupid questions. I want to say there's not a single stupid question. It's, <laughs> it's There are just too many melanomas. So we're delighted to see any question. All right, lovely. Right, so moving on. Sorry, can, can I just add something? Sorry, Mike? Yeah, Peter, please do. As well, which is just to build on a couple of things that that uh, Imogen and Amaya have both said. I, you know, I uh, my uh, lesion, the, the mole, developed during lockdown, and as a result, I was slower in going to the GP with it than I would have been in, in normal times. And I think one of the pieces of advice just amplifying what Imogen was saying is, if you've got something that feels like it looks strange, go and see a doctor about it, because uh, it, the longer you leave it, the, you know, the bigger the chances of of, uh, of the thing developing in a way that's, that can cause much more serious consequences. I think the second thing too is that uh, you know, the apps and things are great, but these things can also be misleading. So you know, uh, with, with the lesion I had on my head, um, both the GP and even the dermatology consultant didn't recognize it initially as a melanoma because it was an unusual kind that has no pigment. And so it was only when the biopsies came back that it was clear it was a melanoma rather than a less serious form of skin cancer. And so again, I think those things can be helpful, but they don't necessarily give you the okay because bad stuff can happen even if it doesn't look like a like a normal classic example of something that's not good, right? So Absolutely. There's only eighty-five. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. I, no. You you go ahead, Maya. You're the guest. I was just going to say that to absolutely underscore that only eighty to eighty-five percent of primary melanomas follow those that criteria of pigment irregularity and the borders and the symmetry, and unfortunately, we tend to miss that fifteen to twenty percent that don't have the hallmarks of disease. And these are the ones that unfortunately are diagnosed late. They tend to appear more in older men than in younger female and male patients. Okay, all right. So if, if melanomas kind of stayed put, life would be better, more straightforward, but they absolutely don't, do they? They, they, they have a tendency to spread. And Victoria, you mentioned this, and this is your kind of, what what you work on so what why do they have a tendency to spread and do they do they tend to go to specific areas of, of the body yes i mean to be 
um, you know, very clear, this, this is a highly metastatic tumor type. And by understanding it, we can understand other aggressive tumors. So for us, um, it seems like a very good model to understand metastasis overall. And it does go to many places. In the case of melanoma, you, you could get metastasis in your skin. So a, a melanoma can grow again in a different part of your skin. As Simojan was saying, this is a very large organ in your body. So there is a potential to get a secondary melanoma in your skin, in your lungs, liver, bones, brain. So you can see that it can go to different places and again, form a new lesion in those places. For example, I give you prostate cancer has a tendency to go to bone, uh, pancreatic cancer to liver. Uh, we were talking about uveal melanoma, which is a type of melanoma in your eye that goes to liver, but cutaneous melanoma can go to all these organs and grow there. And that's why it's, as, as Amaya was saying, one of the most uh, dangerous um, types of cancer. Okay. And, yeah. Patients actually use the analogy of a dandelion when we think of a melanoma. Um, and the dandelion symmetry, sim symboli, symbol, symbology, oh God knows, um, it is quite common. And, and the idea is, is that a seed of a dandelion floats away in the wind like it would outside in the garden or anywhere else and can take root and take hold anywhere in your body. So the idea is, is that once you have become a melanoma patient, you need to be mindful of everything else that's going on. You work with your oncology team and your medical professionals to help guide you through that. But as we talked about earlier, early detection is the priority here. Over 95% of melanomas can be cured, if you like, by surgical removal of the entire melanoma and the melanoma tumor and containing everything. Once it's gone past those margins and had the potential to go into your blood stream, it becomes a different entity. And like Victoria said, it is one of the most um, metastatic of different types of cancers and tumors, and it will and can repair literally anywhere in your body. Yeah. All right. Let, let's just home in on the positive. Like if you get it early, it's on your skin. So is it what it, I'm assuming it's kind of one of the easiest ones to remove, you know, because you don't have to delve in. It's at the surface. You scoop it out. I'm sure it's not quite as simple as that. Um, but it does uh, seem that it's potentially a, a little more hopeful if you get it early. I can see nodding heads. Yep. Spot on. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Now, you, you were, were talking about it spreading. Um, I mean, how how does it spread? Does a bit of the, you know, a bit of the tumour kind of just pop off and jump on the bloodstream for a bit of a ride? Or how, how does it get around? It's kind of Victoria's uh, field, I, I suspect. Yeah, so metastasis, the process itself is quite complex. It has many steps. Uh, the first step is actually, yes, to detach from, from that primary lesion that you get, it, those cells that are going to travel around the body need to be able to detach from, from that structure that is kind of more cells together. So certain changes need to happen in those cells that are able to do that. So what we study in the lab is how the internal skeleton of those cells changes, what's called the cytoskeleton. So this becomes more plastic, the cell can change its shape, it acquires certain abilities that allow them to invade in, in your skin, in the, in the normal tissue, in the healthy tissue. And that way, uh, when you get invasion, you can reach more readily 
the bloodstream or the lymphatics. And those are the highways that then these cancer cells use to reach other parts in the body. But they need to survive in, in circulation, which is not easy. So only a specific or a set of these cells will survive. And once you get to a secondary site, which was not, you know, it might not be the skin, your preferred place to grow. It might be the lung, for example. You need to have that ability to colonize that place, that organ, which means you need to get there, you need to get out of circulation, you need to survive there and, and grow again. And that's not easy. Not every cancer cell can do that. Only highly metastatic cells can do that. And all that okay. process together, with, together with the outgrowth of that lesion in the secondary side is what we call metastasis. Quite complicated, lots of things happening. Yeah. And fortunately, like but fortunately for us, only a very small percentage of cells can do this. Otherwise, you know, we would have cancer cells everywhere in our body, but only a small proportion can do it. Sure. So it, it sounds like there's a couple of places there where you could get involved and try and prevent things happen, happening. So is this where your research is, is, is going? Like to try and stop the metastasis in the first place. And then if it does happen, to try and stop these cancer cells actually being able to latch on somewhere else and start growing. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is our kind of, the goal in, in the lab is to be able to, to kind of cut the process at, at every single stage, you know, stop them from invading, stop them from surviving in the blood, stop it from growing back in a secondary site. And, and you know, we have a few um, elements that can be targeted with, with um, you know, drugs that we've been uh, studying over the years. And Amaya's work as well uh, has shown a, a few things that can be done to target some of these elements and hopefully one day they will see uh, <laughs> the light and the clinic, you know? So are, are, are there, it doesn't sound it, but like, are, are there drugs available at the moment that could um, do these things or they've been developed I mean, currently? For example, I'll give you an easier example of something that is currently working and Peter was, was talking about it, which is immunotherapy. So immunotherapy or the reactivation of your immune system to work against cancer is one of the only things we know so far is actually being able to target metastatic disease. So cancer cells, when they get to this secondary side, uh, to this other organ, the lung, the brain, what they need to do is also in a way hide from the immune system because it's gonna go there and try and kill this cancer. So the ability to escape that allows them to grow again. But if we give therapies that in a way cut that ability of the metastatic cancer cell to hide from the immune system, that is a very good therapy as well in my mind. Okay, no, okay, I, I get it, I get it. All right, all, all that to one side, are, are there other things that if, you know, if we're a patient, things that we can do that are likely to try and be good at preventing metastases, metast it's hard to say, metastases, cancer cells moving around the bodies. So what were the patients here? Were you given suggestions by your doctors of potential lifestyle changes, you know, things to avoid or things to do, that, that kind of thing? I'll throw that open to both of you, if I may. Peter, why don't you go first? Yeah, so, so um, uh, when when I was starting my, my treatment, uh, one of the things that I was advised to do was to make some dietary changes to, to help deal with all of that. So re reduce things that 
that can promote inflammation. Um, uh, so less red meat, less processed foods, you know, more and more fiber, you know, all of the, all of those kinds of things. So I uh, and so I changed my diet really significantly within a, a, a rapid period of time uh, in order to do that. And uh, that's good not only as far as the, uh, the the treatment is concerned, it's also generally good for for your body being healthy as well. So so you know, you get a double benefit from uh, from all of that, and that's been right. So so there's some fairly simple kind of dietary advice as you know just have a, a, a good healthy diet was pretty much it yes i mean there's one you know there's one one thing that's interesting and i'm sure that amaya and vicky will know way more about this but there appear to be some reasons for thinking there may be links between the microbiome you know all the bacteria living in your gut and the effectiveness of some of the treatments. And so one of the reasons why this dietary stuff is important is, is you know, because of that, no one, as I understand it, knows yet what the mechanisms are for why that should be, but it appears to be uh, something you can observe uh, that, that is positive. Okay, I can see the scientists are nodding their heads there. Do, do, do you, can you add anything more to that? Um, so the relationship between diet and immunotherapy response is clear. So paradoxically, we see that people who are overweight sometimes respond better. It's not clear, but at least they don't do worse. So we know that obesity increases the risk of cancer, but for some cancer types, it promotes response to immunotherapy. So that's one thing that's being worked on. And then the other key factor why um, why I'm sure dietary re um, recommendations are, are put in place is because we know that a healthy microbiome, which means diversity in the bacteria in your gut, will enhance immunotherapy response. So if you have a very monochrome um, set of bacteria, then you're less likely to respond, which is why it's not great to take antibiotics. So protect your flora as much as possible. And I just wanted to add the, to the inflammation conversation because this is one of the things we know, inflammation can reawaken dormant cells, dormant cancer cells in your body. So that's why I think keeping any kind of diet that will reduce inflammation uh, is a good idea. But of course there are things that promote inflammation like smoking. So that's another lifestyle change you can do. Please stop smoking because uh, that, increases inflammation as well yeah i definitely want to come back to the subject of the cancer lying dormant till a, another time but um did the doctors uh to again this is to the the patient advocates uh, suggest anything else and i'm thinking particular exercise i've heard from a few places that exercise is a good thing to not get cancer in the first place and potentially take up after a diagnosis well, from when I was diagnosed back in 2013, I, I was actually, I mean, this was why I got involved in the melanoma advocacy and in the melanoma patient conference. I was given very little in the way of information or advice. And the understanding of um, how melanoma worked has evolved very dramatically over the last 10 years. And, and certainly when I was diagnosed, immunotherapy was, was sort of a, a figment of, of, of sort of research rather than actually available for patients. So a lot has changed. When I was diagnosed, I was very... Um, very acutely aware of the link between the the sort of my health, my well-being, what I was eating, what exercise and activity I was doing. But back then, there was very little medical advice and guidance on that, certainly available publicly. Um, through the patient conference, I've had several people talk to the patients and, and talk to the public about 
the impact of diet, the impact of exercise, the impact of just generally looking after yourself, especially in the sun and how to protect your skin, you know, even before and after diagnosis. All of these videos from the patient conference have been recorded, so they're all available for the public at any time on, on the Melanoma Patient Conference YouTube channel. But I think diet, I mean, exercise, it, it, it's good for everybody anyway. Staying fit, being active just helps your, your, your blood cells move around and just helps you, you know, to live a healthy lifestyle. You don't necessarily need to be excessive about it, but, you know, a 10, 15 minute walk every day can make a dramatic impact on your health overall. Okay. And I, I suppose to some point, so, so, some of the treatment for cancers, all sorts of cancers, actually can be quite physically demanding. So the better shape you're in, uh, you can deal with that a bit better. Yeah, I think that, that was a non-medical comment. <laughs> no, and, and you know, I, I had an, an example of that because uh, partway through my melanoma treatment, uh, it, it was discovered that I had an, a second unrelated cancer as well as the metastases from my melanoma. And so I ended up having to have an operation to remove most of my colon, um, uh, which was nothing to do with, with, uh, with the melanoma. Uh, and so it, being in good shape when you've got a, a major operation is hugely helpful because your recovery isn't so much better if you go into the operation in, in, uh, in, in, with a reasonable level of fitness. Yeah, absolutely. And once patients have had surgeries, so like Peter, it's important to get back into good shape afterwards. But you need to work with your oncology team and the, the advisors within the hospital. There may well be um, physiotherapists who can advise you how to regain your strength and do certain exercises that will regain your, your, your movement without impacting upon any scars that, that might be there. Yeah, good point. Amaya had something to say. Yeah, I just want to really highlight something key that Imogen has just briefly touched upon, which is the most important part of our job is giving UV advice once you're diagnosed. Um, there's a significant proportion of patients with a primary melanoma at risk of developing subsequent skin cancers and also melanomas. So even though the damage is done and you've accumulated sun exposure, it is key to be aware of that and not add wood to the fire, shall we say. So we spend a lot of time explaining that. Um, that's one thing. And then the other thing I wanted to highlight um, is that, you know, being in good shape will make you happy. Mm? And that will influence your your psychiatric perspective on your disease. And that has a huge impact on how you accept treatment and probably on every aspect of your treatment and care. So it is very important to be in good shape and eat well and be happy. All right. Very, very good points. Can I move on a little bit now to this um idea that melanoma once it's been treated uh i think this is for all cancers but i think it seems to be specifically for melanoma can lie dormant for many years and then uh come back again um and th this probably is is in initially to the scientists are there any particular reasons you know why can it be dormant and then suddenly pop up again i mean Anyone know? i Actually, melanoma is one of those tumors that it doesn't take long to come back. Other tumors can remain dormant more often for much longer periods of time, like, for example, breast cancer. But uveal melanoma, the one that, that is from the eye, actually can remain uh, dormant for, for longer periods of time than, than cutaneous melanoma. But in a, in a small percentage of cases, you can get your melanoma, you could, you know, uh, get the melanoma back 
10 years after, but it is less frequent than if it comes back because it, it normally comes back faster. And maybe Amaya knows these, these numbers better than I do. But the reason why it can become dormant is because several things, you know, first they are trying to grow in this maybe um, inhospitable environment, right? Sometimes it's not, if it's a metastasis, for example, and your the immune system is working, is trying to get rid of this cancer cell, but you know, it may have limited ability to escape. So therefore it's not growing as much as it originally could. Mm -hmm. uh, it might not be able to reach vasculature. So it may not be near a vessel receiving food, let's say, and, and nutrients to grow. But something can change in your body that all of a sudden, you know, this, um, you know, cancer cell may be getting food and then it can become reactivated. And uh, there is other things in what we call the tumor microenvironment that could be playing a role. Uh, in So in the normal cells around the tumor, small changes in the balance of what's happening there can turn that switch on. And unfortunately, we don't know this well enough. And there is not enough research about how, um, you know, tumors are turned back on after a long period of time. And why don't we know so much? Because it's very difficult to study in the lab something that is going to remain dormant for many, many years. How do we study that? We are starting now to generate some models, but it is tricky. Um, it's not an easy um, thing to model okay. in the lab, but some, some promising uh, research is coming out, uh, especially in breast cancer, not as much as we would like to see in melanoma. Yeah. I, I can see how that could be very difficult. Yeah, Maya. I just wanted to, you know, give a, a case report, which is worth a million words. So around three decades ago, the New England Journal of Medicine published a case um, of an organ transplant recipient. This was a kidney transplant recipient who just had a kidney failure and received a kidney from a donor who, ha who had had 20 years ago melanoma. And as you know, when you receive an organ that's not from, a, from, from yourself, you need to be immunosuppressed to decrease the amount of time, the, the risk of rejecting that organ. So there was a reactivation of melanoma from the kidney in the recipient. So the patient who received the organ died of melanoma because it reawakened the melanoma because it dampened the immune system. So that's a classic link, at least uh, for medics, uh, between the immune system controlling dormancy and reactivation of a cancer. Goodness me. Yeah, it was quite a sad shock to me to not be able to be on the donor registry anymore. I mean, you know, I was always proud to sort of say that if anything happened to me, uh, that, you know, my, my organs and various parts of my eyes and all the rest of it could happily go to, to patients for, for life-saving uh, requirements. But it was a brutal shock to discover that, uh, you know, in the future, I am off the donor registry completely because I am a melanoma patient. Uh, I think lots of cancers are the same, but certainly melanoma, um, yeah. you're not allowed to be on the donor registry anymore. That was the seminal case and very important for your relatives as well. Yeah. Goodness me. All right. Now, um, perhaps the thing, because we're, we're time is ticking on, um, and this the more open, I think, to the, uh, the, the patients. Um, if someone does get a diagnosis of, well, certainly of melanoma, but any, any sort of cancer, um, you guys have been through it. What advice would you give to someone who's just recently had had the news? And that's open to both of you, but maybe if Imogen can go first. 
I mean, first and foremost would be to to find a good oncology team may form a good relationship with your medical professionals, especially your skin cancer nurses. They will be um, really incredibly beneficial for you throughout uh, the time that you're a patient and, and are also really helpful for your family members too. Um, look on the online, look for online support groups. There are also lots of other support groups out there. Uh, the Maggie centers are very good. There's some Facebook support groups that are there with closed groups for patients. They're very useful. Um, talk to other patients and connect with other people who have the same thing as you. That's invaluable for patients. And, and probably more than anything else, learn about your disease and understand what you've got. Don't be an ostrich. Don't stick your head in the sand. Understand where you're at now, what the next options are, because then if it does progress, you're armed with the information in your back pocket and you are aware of what might be next if it were to happen. Hopefully it won't. But if it does, what your next options are and how to get onto them. Okay. Now, and I know you're very involved in a couple of things. There's the Melanoma Patient Conference yep. and uh, you're a trustee for a charity as well. So perhaps at this point, you could uh, give contact details for them. I think that would be useful. Yeah, the charity is Melanoma Focus. Um, so you can go onto the Melanoma Focus website. And actually something that might be beneficial for patients within the Melanoma Focus website is their trial finder. And they can actually guide patients to clinical trials throughout the UK that might be relevant for them at any point in time during their diagnosis or afterwards. Very good. Peter, do you have anything to add to Imogen's words? Yes, a couple, a couple of things. And I, I agree with all the things that, that Imogen said. I, I think the things I would add are, first of all, don't panic. And I think that that it, you know, it's it can be a shocking thing to learn that you've got you've got cancer uh, and a shocking thing to learn that the cancer is spread. And I think that that the sense of of being able to to not think that's the end of everything and freezing the headlights, I think, is really important. I think being able to talk to people, not only to people who've got experience of of the cancer that you happen to be diagnosed with, but being able to talk to people more generally about your, your condition has been something I found hugely helpful. I've been very open with people where I work about what's happening and I've had incredible support from them, from my friends and family uh, as a result of all of that. And if you bottle things up and are so worried you don't want to talk about it, you miss out on a huge amount of support that you can get through all of that. I think the final thing I'd add to what Imogen was saying is the sense that there are positive things that you can do. You know, we were talking about things like diet and exercise earlier on. You know, many of the things you can only deal with through the medical teams who are working with you, through the kinds of powerful drugs that we were talking about earlier on. But doing the things you can do is incredibly important in your state of mind. You know, when you can do things like change your diet, take more exercise, all of those kinds of things, make sure you're sleeping enough. Those, simply the act of doing something makes it a lot easier to deal with the, the thing that you've got in front of you. And I think that ability to do the things that you can, even if there are other stuff that's critically important in managing your condition, I think is a very important thing. Uh, I can, I, absolutely, yeah, I, I, I concur with that. Um, Although not been in that situation, I can really imagine that being very helpful. Um, goodness, I think that was a very useful discussion. I think probably the thing to do is, is uh, wrap it up now, unless there are any final.
final comments that people uh, have to make. Um, so I've got one question. I've got one question. Oh, Please, sorry, I think Imogen was before me. So. Oh, that's okay. It was really just to say um, May, which is this month, is Melanoma Awareness Month. Um, and so the important thing is to really raise awareness amongst people who are patients, but also just anyone in general regarding your health with the impact that sun has on your skin. Um, on sunny days, wear sun protection of some kind, whether it's a, a lotion, preferably factor 50, um, but certainly no lower than factor 30. Avoid midday sun and the high UV exposure that you're prone to there. And absolutely under all circumstances, don't burn. Burning for those under 25 can actually increase your risk of melanoma by about over 40%. So it's really important to avoid burning, to look after your skin, to treat yourself properly and to, to take care of yourself because you, you really do only have one body and one skin and you really need to look after it. So can I just ask ask one, one question, Vicky, which is, are there any signs of any drugs that could, that can work if it will have any good prospects of working to target the kinds of mechanisms of spreading that you were, you were talking about earlier on? I mean, we have tried in preclinical models, right, with, with uh, experiments in the lab and with mice, with rodents, uh, to give uh, specific drugs that target the cytoskeleton. And they've been very, you know, very successful in stopping the spread of the cancer cells. So some of these drugs are given for um, glaucoma, um, from for uh, graft versus host disease. So now what we are, the, the, the ideal scenario for my lab would be to find the set of patients that have markers of the presence of these cytoskeletal changes, if you like. So that would tell us these patients can respond to these particular drugs that actually are being used for other diseases in, you know, already in the clinic and are FDA approved, if you like. That's really helpful to understand. Thanks. Good. All right. So I, I think I'll wrap up by just saying thank you very much to all of you for taking the time to uh, discuss this today. And I, I, I think this kind of chat can help an awful lot of people, actually. So, um, so many thanks. Thanks to you for inviting us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks everyone. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show, and they were scientists Amaya Viros and Vicky Sanz Moreno, and cancer patient advocates Imogen Shees and Peter Phillips. And of course, a big thank you to you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Relax Back UK show. Join me, Mike Dilk, again next week for more fascinating interviews and chat. If you're listening to the podcast version, please subscribe, like, and share it with your family and friends. And have a healthy week. Until next week.